Hello, and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Greetings, fans of science fiction, Star Trek, Star Wars, and other geek things. This is Rico, and this is the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. This will be episode 105 for February 25th, 2007. It's Oscar night, uh, and they didn't invite me. <laughs> anyway, we're going to look at a episode from the first season of Enterprise this week called Shuttle Pod 1, which I think is a, a really good entry from the first season of Enterprise. We've got some uh, news and information, uh, some listener calls and comments, and just general fun. So stand by. Here we go. Rico. Re- 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 Rico. Drex and Sci-Fi. Drex and Sci-Fi. Captain. Incoming message. A weekly dose of sci-fi and Star Trek information. Shut up, Wesley. Shut up, Wesley. I know this shit like the back of my hand. Well, welcome to the, another weekend edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. Of course, uh, I'm Rico, your host for show number 105, just cruising into the 100s now for podcast uh, numbering system, blah, blah. <laughs> Excuse me. It's a little uh, early uh, on a cold, uh, wintry Michigan day here. Uh, it's, uh, what is it? Let's see. It's about 30 degrees outside. We're under some kind of winter storm warning. It's, uh, you know, this winter has not been the greatest. I, I'm, I'm frankly, and, and you guys have probably uh, heard me say this a few times, getting kind of tired of it. Uh, I spent a little time growing up in California. Not sure if I ever mentioned that before on the podcast. I spent about uh, two, three years when I was growing up out in California, uh, living out there in the kind of uh, a suburb of Los Angeles called Huntington Beach. So, hey, L.A., if you're listening, hello. <laughs> Anyway, it's um, I always think back when when I, I sit through the Michigan winters here, and, and I know other places have worst winters, but I always think back to um, to those times and how nice it was. I can distinctly remember waking up on like New Year's Day one year, and it was about 75 degrees, sunny, birds chirping, and I said, boy, this is just paradise. Although I do like the seasons. It, it, it's just, uh, and winter isn't that bad. I don't really mind it that much. It just lasts it just lasts way too long in Michigan, at least. So, hey, enough about the weather. That's not why you're here. You can get that anywhere else. You're here to learn about Star Trek and sci-fi information, right? Uh, I'd like to, uh, as I uh, normally do, try to welcome everyone to the show. If you're new, uh, hi hi there. And if you've uh, been a long, around a long time, excuse me, uh, welcome back, guys and gals. Guys and gals, it's sort of a Hollywood term since it is Oscar night and I'll be watching. I spent the last uh, week or so, and again, this is sort of a non-sci-fi thing just to get things warmed up in my voice and and rolling, trying to catch up on some Oscar-type movies. I've watched uh, The Departed, finally, and I watched Babel the other night, or Babel. I don't know how you say that. Babel? Babel? Uh, Both of them were pretty good. Both, I didn't think, quite lived up to the hype. Uh, they were in interesting and enjoyable movies. Both, I thought, were a little longer than they needed to be. But um, I try each year to see a fair number of the ones up for the Oscars, but I, I never really managed to see them all because the kind of movies they seem to recognize aren't usually the kind of movies that I usually go see as much or enjoy. So, But enough about that. We've got a lot to cover this week. 
I'm going to be looking at shortly here the episode um, Shuttlepot 1 from Enterprise. I'm going to do a full episode commentary. In other words, I'm going to play that episode in the background kind of and comment on it as we go. thought that might be kind of fun. I haven't done that in a while. And that it, it's, there's a lot of good dialogue, a lot of good character stuff in that episode, so I thought that would be fun. So we'll be doing that here very soon. This uh, podcast is probably going to run a little longer. Got a lot of things to cover. First up, I want to play a comment. I got a few comments to play from listeners. This is from John in Russia, an American over there. And I think he's American. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was. Anyway, he has a comment about uh, a recent podcast, Day to Day, that I did. So let's play John's comment now. Hello, Rico. This is John Summer calling from Russia again, and I'm uh, sending this recording in reference to your um, podcast, I think 105, about the episode Day, Data's Day. Actually, I haven't listened to the podcast yet, um, but I'm looking very much forward to that. And I wanted to send my comments about the episode now. I, I am, um, you know, I've uh, this is one of my favorite TNG episodes. Um, it and I think it it really, um, it, you know, it's a it's a data centric episode of which there are many, and I think those episodes really remind us how good of a performance uh, Brent Spiner always brings in. You know, a lot of praise gets heaped on uh, Patrick Stewart, of course, but uh, you know, I think Brent Spiner is also a, a key component of that cast, and certainly the 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 character Data is a is is a character that just uh, TNG would would be very um, poor without, I think. Um, and the episode is... Uh, another thing about the episode is that I, I've always found it a great episode to show to f- people who are not Star Trek fans, which I've had to do many times, uh, living in Russia. My, I've shown it to my wife and other people. My wife is not a big Star Trek fan, and but, but she enjoyed the episode very much. Um, and it's just so funny and it has so many scenes that are easy to relate to. Um, especially the scene in the dance floor uh, with 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 Beverly. Um, that reminds me of probably the one quibble I have with the episode. Um, unfortunately, that, that you know, Date is in there trying to get for practice dancing, trying to get ready for you know the wedding, and he it just amazes me that with all the thorough research that Data must have done about the the, the history of weddings and. Uh, you know the, the 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 culture of weddings and stuff like that. That he he would have actually mixed up that 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 you do ballet dancing or whatever or tap dancing whatever it is that he's doing at a wedding instead of, of ballroom dancing. It just sort of hard for me to believe that Data would have made that kind of mistake. Um, although in the end, the it's such a funny thing that you know you can probably suspend belief for for that. Um, anyway, probably going on too long, so this is John Sumlick signing off. Well, thanks a lot for that, uh, John. I appreciate that com- your comments about Data's Day. Yeah, it's a great episode. Brent does a great job with it. Uh, going to get moving uh, here a little bit quicker, or hopefully move along, and try to get a few, couple more calls. Well, one at least I've got to play here. This is from Brenton, and he discusses a little bit about Pan's Labyrinth, which I talked about on a recent show. So listen to Brendan now. Hey, Rico. It's uh, Brendan. I just got a chance to listen to your Wednesday show um, the other night, and uh, I was happy to hear that you uh, gave a little review of Pan's Labyrinth. Um, I saw it back in 
um, January, uh, and I thought uh, it was definitely one of the um, more memorable, uh, unique, uh, beautifully done films I've seen um, in in a while. And uh, it's it's interesting how they um, blend blend in fantasy um, with um, you know a real world type movie um, like a, a war movie because a lot of it is um, a lot of the movie is taken up by the other plot line of of the uh, war um, that's happening in the real world um, so. I think if some people go to the movie uh, expecting it to be 90% fantasy, um, they're going to be disappointed. But I think uh, the um, melding of the fantasy with the uh, real world is what makes um, the movie so uh, unique and poignant. And um, also, actually, the same day I went to see... um, Pan's Labyrinth, I followed that up by going to see Children of Men. And uh, Children of Men is a sci-fi movie, um, as most of your listeners probably know. Um, I think its release was somewhat limited, but all I can say is go out and see Children of Men. Um, Alfonso Cuaron, the the director, just does an incredible job on it. Um, He his the futuristic uh, world he creates is uh, incredibly vivid um and to me frighteningly imaginable um so all i can say is definitely go see um pan's labyrinth go see children of men um i know i've already seen pan's labyrinth Twice. The second time, I was able to pick up on things that left me confused the first time, um, and I'd love to see uh, Children of Men uh, another time also. So, um, yeah, thanks for trying to get the word out there on Pan's Labyrinth, and, um, yeah, just uh, keep it up. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, thanks for that call, Brendan. Appreciate it. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth, Children of Men. Yes, I, I saw both those. Uh, enjoyed them both. Uh, they're a little bit different than people might expect. Uh, I have to say both of them contain quite a bit of violence. Uh, just uh, just as a little bit of a warning, they, uh, you know, they're not for real little kids at all. So I'm not sure. I think Pan's Labyrinth was rated R, and I think Children of Men is probably also rated R. I think they both are, but both very interesting films, and definitely for a, a sci-fi fan or a fantasy fan or, or just a fan of good movies, I think, uh, interesting different kinds of movies. Go see both of those. Hi, this is Len from Jawbone Radio, and whenever I need the latest Star Trek or sci-fi news, I listen to my friend Rick on the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast. Hey, do you think he's going to be talking about Wookiees? Because I love Wookiees. Okay, we're going to uh, change gears just a little bit here, talk a bit about news, Star Trek, Star Wars, and other sci-fi news, anything going on in the recent uh, days. The big uh, Star Trek story news is that it's been I guess about 99% confirmed. <laughs> well, let's just call it 100. J.J. Uh, Abrams uh, is definitely going to direct the, the next Star Trek film, which is going to be is shooting for a release date of Christmas time 2008. So 
what's that make it like about a year and a half away uh, a little bit more than that uh, well it'll be a year from this coming christmas so 2008 christmas time star trek film new one directed by jj abrams and the story has also been pretty much confirmed that it is going to be a young kirk and spock story set uh during their academy days and probably a, a first mission for them together so we'll see how that all works out uh you know there's there's a lot of danger and we've talked uh or i've talked several times other people when we've had skype calls we've talked about this idea before it's uh it's got definitely it's good and bad points of doing that kind of a storyline but i think uh by the time this movie comes out i think the star trek fans out there will be pretty hungry for seeing a new film so I actually think this is going to do pretty well. I think J.J. Abrams is a good uh, director. I think he creates interesting stories usually, uh, does a pretty good job with stuff. I've enjoyed his his work before. So we'll be looking for uh, that movie uh, in, uh, well, in 2008, and we'll be following its progress here on Treks and Sci-Fi. On the uh, Star Wars news area in front, uh, Daniel Logan, who played the young uh, Boba Fett in the Attack of the Clones film, is uh, supposed to have a meeting with Rick McCallum, who is sort of the executive producer of the prequels and George Lucas's kind of right-hand man. Supposed to have a meeting soon with uh, him on uh, maybe a possible role in the live-action Star Wars series, which would lend some uh, support to the idea that this series may feature uh, Boba Fett in some capacity. So that'll be interesting. Uh, we'll have to watch that and see how that goes. I did mention the Academy Awards a little earlier. Uh, depending on when you get this podcast, it's going to go out today, Sunday, before the awards, but not everyone listens to it right as it goes out. Supposedly, the, the rumor going around is the Best Director Award tonight will be presented by uh, three directors together uh, presenting the award to the Best Director, and those are going to be Spielberg, Lucas, and Francis Ford Coppola. So that would be interesting. That would be a... Uh, you know, having all those three powerhouse uh, movie uh, guys all up on stage to present the Best Director Award would be pretty interesting. And it's it's pretty much a lock. I think Martin Scorsese for The Departed is probably going to win that. So, so that's kind of a Star Wars-related thing with Lucas there. Of course, Celebration 4 still coming up at the end of May. Uh, that's about it I want to talk about as far as Star Wars and Star Trek news. I really got a lot to cover with doing a full episode commentary. So we're going to get to that uh, here in a second, right after a sort of a promo commercial for the forums, a role-playing game. And again, you can go to the forums off of the treksf.com website and check them out. But here's a promo from one of the guys running it, Kiozin, and he talks about uh, the adventures of the Starship Tiberius, which is the ship on the RPG game going on in the forum. So listen to uh, Kiozin, and I'll be right back. Treks in Sci-Fi, the final frontier. Hi, I'm Matt, Kiozen from the forums, and over the last few weeks we've been following the opening journey of the latest chapter in Star Trek, the journey of the USS Tiberius. Crewed by the alter egos of the forum members, the Tiberius has now launched from space dock and is embarking upon its first mission to meet with a mysterious group of Iconian clones who seem to have some history with the Titan's commanding officer Captain Gilbert Bell. And if that wasn't enough to deal with, the meeting is to be held with delegates of the Cardassians, Ferengi, Romulans and Klingons. Tensions are high and old rivalries are bound to show as all the races involved show their eagerness to acquire trading rights with the descendants of the once powerful Iconian race. 
tempers will fray, emotions will be heightened. <laughs> and that's just Saturday night in five forwards. So come along and register at the Tracks and Sci-Fi forums. I guarantee you won't be disappointed. Well, thanks a lot, Matt, for that great uh, promo preview for uh, the adventures of the Starship Tiberius going on in the RPG section of the forums at treksf.com. Well, uh, I'm about to start the episode, Shuttlepod 1, from the first season of Enterprise. This uh, episode features um, both uh, primarily uh, Trip, uh, the engineer on the ship, and it features... Why am I blanking out? Features Malcolm Reed, of course, the tactical officer. I don't know why I'm blanking like that. Excuse me, it's uh, uh, the the cold weather. I'm going to blame it on that, yes. Anyway, uh, Malcolm and Trip uh, end up be, sort of being stuck on a shuttle pod together, and that's the basic uh, premise of this episode. I'm going to get it started, and I will discuss it as we go. So here we go. asteroid field but I can't see head in the tails of them maybe it's another asteroid field no this is the one two primaries 17 planetesimals we weren't expecting this back for three days maybe they finished and went off to do something else well with our sensor array down we won't know when they get back until we see them any luck with the com? dead as a doornail yeah, Connor Trenier and Dominic Keating. Uh, Dominic Keating plays Malcolm. And Connor is, of course, Trip. Both uh, really good actors, really good in these roles. I've got a copy of Ulysses here. I doubt I'll even be halfway through it by the time the ship gets back. I'd rather realign every micro circuit on this shuttle than try to wade through that, baby. British schools have a core curriculum. It serves to provide a well-rounded education. Sometimes I think you North Americans read nothing but comic books and those ridiculous science fiction novels. I'll have you know that Superman was laced with metaphor. <laughs> subtext layered on subtext. Oh, if only Dr. Cochrane had been a European. The Vulcans would have been far less reticent to help us. But no, he had to be from Montana. <laughs> Probably spent his nights reading about cowboys and Indians. Well, I don't recall any Europeans figuring out how to build a warp engine. Commander. No Brits, no Italians, no Serbo-Croatians. Commander, I think you better come and take a look at this. It's interesting they're, uh, you know, not that far in the future from us, and there's still obviously a lot of uh, slight divisions between uh, the we different nations of the Earth. They're kind of coming in close to an asteroid now. The damn sensors were only working, we could... Bring us around again. Better slow down. They, uh... It's been a long road. They saw debris, uh, which appears to be had some of the, uh... 
insignia number from the Enterprise NX-01 is its uh, letters designation, so they saw that scattered on the asteroid surface. Made them a little bit uh, concerned, because they were supposed to rendezvous with the Enterprise here. Now, a lot has always been said about this uh, theme song from Enterprise, and, you know, I, I was... Yeah, I was not really all that thrilled with it at first, but after probably listening to it and watching the the great credit sequence they put together for all the different scenes, which I think is excellent, it really started to grow on me throughout watching the first season of Enterprise. I, I think the song is really nice. I, I think it really fits the mood of the show. I think it fits the spirit of Star Trek in general. It's uh, really really fitting and i you know i have to hand it to them they took a big shot at and a risk here of throwing something different any star trek series before this they'd never used uh, a vocal in the opening theme and of course they tried to do this on enterprise and it, it sure didn't uh you know get met with a lot of approval from a lot of fans at first but i think eventually people you know that they gave it a chance started to enjoy it Go back to uh, the episode now, showing the Enterprise in space. Archer in his ready room. How are the Tessians doing? Dr. Phlox can only keep 12 of them in the decon chamber at a time. What about the other, what is it, 22? He's rotating them. They seem to be doing fine on our atmosphere, but they need at least six hours of boron gas a day. He says we've got enough to get them home. Have you learned their language? Yes, sir. What do they have to say? They're pretty rattled. Most of them had been on that ship for years. It's a lot to digest. They lost everything. They're alive. Does the Scott captain Bacula have any idea Captain Archer. No. Uh, I really enjoy him in this role. I, I enjoyed him he's a lot no in Quantum Leap. I think he's a, a really good uh, role or a really good fit for the role of Archer and uh, captain of a starship. I, I think he does a great job, and as, as the years go on, I think he does even better. I, saw the wreckage on the uh, I still think the show got cut short. Left. I think they could have done a lot more seasons and and really, uh, really explored their characters and fit into the Star Trek universe real well. Good work. That should get us back to our rendezvous coordinates well before Trip and Malcolm get there. Let's drop out of warp for a few minutes. I want to inspect the damage to the launch doors. Aye, sir. As I go through this episode like I'm trying to do, I'm trying to adjust and tweak the volume, you know, turn it down a little when I'm speaking and turn it back up after I'm done. So hopefully uh, I'll try to keep those levels so you won't have to keep adjusting your uh, volume as you listen to this. But it's, uh, it's difficult to talk over uh, keeping the volume up on the show. So just that's sort of a little technical aside as, as I do this uh, full episode commentary. Right. Astrometrics detected what could be micro-singularities in the vicinity of the asteroid field. Micro-singularities are a Vulcan myth. There's no scientific evidence that they exist. Our deflectors registered some unusual charged particles at the... Same time, the ship began to malfunction. Any similar damage on Enterprise? No. Does a really good job, also as a Vulcan. I think difficult role, especially for a fairly young actress. How about the lifeboats? They could have launched the lifeboats before the crash. They'd be here. They only go 300 kph. They'd be right here, waiting for us to return. 
Are we sure there are no survivors? Commander, we have to figure out what we're going to do. We can't just leave. That's Enterprise. At least we should find the black boxes. With what? We have no radio. Nothing to pick up the beacons. What's the range on our distress beacon? It's offline. I'm talking about the portable one, the one on the away kit. 10 million kilometers, maybe 20, but I highly doubt they'll be shipping anywhere close to that. We've only got 10 days worth of breathable air. How far to Echo 3? At impulse? A lot more than 10 days. If we could get close enough for it to pick up our distress beacon, and it really the signal back to Starfleet. I'm afraid the math doesn't work out, Commander. It's going to take weeks, maybe months, for our signal to reach Echo 3. By the time Starfleet got a ship out here, we'd be... We'd be long dead. But at least they'd find us. Already picking up on the differences in their two personalities. You know, Malcolm's a much more glasses half empty. Trip is a lot more glasses half full. I think that's how they... And why they complement each other really well in this episode. Which way to what? Echo 3. Which way to Echo 3? I told you, it's too far. Do you know which direction it is or don't you? Navigation is down. That's not what I asked you. You want me to guess? You come from a long line of Navy men and you got a real good memory. Look hard at those stars, find something that looks familiar, and tell me which way to go. Sir? That's an order! I don't suppose you have a sextant handy. I left it with my slide rule. I saw a uh, Connor Trenier quite a few years ago at a convention. He's a, uh, in person, he's a lot like his character, Trip, uh, kind of a southern guy, well, uh, very uh, a lot of charisma, a real nice guy, and I, sure. I think uh, he does a great job in his part. Take one more low pass over the wreckage, and then set a course. Don't look too good for our heroes. Personal but of course, uh, it is uh, 9th, not over yet. 2151. By the time anyone hears this, by anyone, I suppose I mean anyone human, Commander Tucker and I will be long dead. It's my intention to recount the events that led to the destruction of the Starship Enterprise and to express my deepest feelings regarding my short but memorable service with Starfleet. Tell him I'd love to add my two cents, but I'm trying to get a little work done. Short but memorable service with Starfleet. In order to test the targeting scanners on Shuttle Pod 1, Commander Tucker and I had to get at least 20,000 kilometers from Enterprise. During our third trial, we experienced a brief but sizable jolt, and shortly thereafter realized that our sensor array had gone offline. This sensor is more than offline. It's totally fried. That our sensor array had gone offline. We had no choice but to head back to the asteroid field where Enterprise was involved in a mapping project. We found the ship. Destroyed. 
its debris strewn across a square kilometer of one of the larger asteroids. Had our sensors been working, we certainly yeah, would have done everything possible. Yeah, you know, all their information here is just based on their visual, their eyes but looking at the stuff, not their sensors. The sensors are offline, so and limited air. It's kind of we why no they uh, didn't quite uh, get the full picture of this. Someday, this vessel. Eventually, this log will be found. May God have mercy on our souls. Why don't you cut the crap and get back here and help me? Now this uh, this episode, like I said, it's from the first season, like roughly mid midway. Know. Uh, you know, Enterprise first premiered back in the fall the of two thousand and one, and it um, it did really well, actually, pretty well in the ratings at first, and then it kind of dwindled and then dwindled throughout the, the later seasons. But I'm not really sure. I think part of it is there's a lot more TV sci-fi out there these days, and I think that was one of the things going on. We're bound to find someone out here, a warp, perhaps. But an impulse? Balkans, Klingons, Sulaban, Zerillians, Andorians. God knows who's going to be lurking around the next planet we run into. But that's just it, sir. An impulse, we're not likely to be running into any planets. Not for at least six or seven years. Then somebody could run into us. You ever think of that? Or see us on their sensors? The possibilities are endless. I'll heat up some rations. Unless, of course, you'd rather wait until we run into a vessel serving proper meals. Rations will be fine. What are you in the mood for? <sighs> Depends. What are you serving? Deal uh, masala. Chilean sea bass. Mugu gai pan. Any meatloaf? Gravy and mashed potatoes. Perfect. I like how they have these little food packs, kind of like almost astronaut-like food. Uh, the captain was planning to give that to somebody. Can't remember who. Malcolm found now. a bottle of uh, bourbon, and that was uh, on the shuttle pod, which will uh, which will figure out pretty prominently into a pretty fun part of this episode, I think. It's nice to see the characters doing something, you know, so ordinary as just sitting down and eating together. They, you know, there were a lot of scenes that they used in Enterprise with uh, Trip, uh, Archer, and T'Pol having uh, What's that? dinner or the breakfast together, talking about things, and I thought that was a neat idea. Pretty good. You know, there's a lot of uh, conversation that goes on between people when they eat meals. Uh, that's uh, real reveals a lot about their characters. You can get a lot of plot across it during those times. It's a perfect setting. You know, Voyager did it, uh, Enterprise did it, and uh, Next Generation a little bit, Deep Space Nine in Quark. So it's it's a, you know you get a relaxed place and they all get a chance to uh, kind of let their hair down and talk. Never received those letters. You were, I believe, in the process of moving back to Malaysia at the time. But you must have spoken to Aunt Sherry during that period. And I know she received my letters. I would hate to go to my death thinking that either of you felt I was trying to avoid... Malcolm! You've been at it for hours now. Don't you think it's time to give it a rest? As I'm sure you must have heard, that was my esteemed colleague, Commander Charles Tucker. 
Mr. Tucker doesn't share my belief that it is essential to say what must be said, to leave a record, tie up loose ends. Mr. Tucker is laboring under the false hope that we are going to be miraculously rescued before we both suffocate. Mr. and Mrs. Reed, I realize that you've just begun a period of mourning and that I'll never get an answer to this question. But I gotta ask it anyway. Was Malcolm always this cynical? In a few days, when the reality of this situation actually begins to sink in, you might very well decide you want to record some logs of your own. You have my word. I will not interrupt you. I just need to get some sleep, Malcolm. Is that so hard to understand? We have less than nine days of oxygen left. It seems a waste to use it up sleeping. If I don't waste some oxygen sleeping, I'm gonna start getting real cranky. And you don't want to spend your last nine days cooped up with me when I'm cranky. <laughs> so turn that thing off and get some I rest. like uh, Trip in this episode, you know. I think that uh, he's probably a little bit most, more like I would be in this. I, I wouldn't think probably... You know, you never know what you would do when would face with that kind of situation, but I, I think I've tended to always be somebody who refuses to accept, uh, you know, things uh, that might be considered inevitable that I would just uh, back. consider that they... Bye still, Lieutenant. There would always be a chance, so... And, and I, I think if I let my mind slip right. into that you were doomed, man, I don't think I'd be able to make Commander a move Tucker at all, so... Fine. Thanks to you. Now there's a scene there. They appear to be oh, back in sickbay with Dr. Phlox and, and the rest. captain. There will be plenty of time to explain what happened in the morning. And T'Pol is there also, so, and Malcolm on. is uh, laying back on the bed. How are you feeling? I'd feel a lot better if I knew what was going on. Captain Archer would be quite annoyed with me if I told you of your heroics. I believe he's looking forward to doing that himself in the morning. Heroics? I had no idea you could be so selfless. In the face of such danger, most males of your species would have given in to their fear. Well, since you're obviously not going to tell me what happened, I suppose a simple good night will have to do. Vulcans could never ignore courage. Now this Paul is kind of stroking Malcolm's We'll never ignore Lieutenant <laughs> Malcolm Reed again. I can't say I've ever ignored you, Paul. Is it all right if I call you Paul? Yes. May I call you Malcolm? I suppose so. But if the truth be known, I've never much cared for the name Malcolm. Always seemed a bit too... Stuffy. I think it's a lovely name. Malcolm is the Vulcan word for serenity. Well then, perhaps I won't change it. Pity though. I was rather growing fond of the name Stinky. I can't believe you just did that. Did what? You smiled. I saw you smile. Pokins don't smile. This one does. I saw you. You're mistaken. It was when I said stinky, wasn't it? You smiled when I said stinky. 
Good morning, Stinky. It's a lovely day, isn't it? Stinky. <laughs> What's that? I got the receiver working, but the transmitter's a lost cause. Who's Stinky? Uh, now you find out this was just all a dream Malcolm was having. You were talking nice in your sleep. To Paul. Kept calling for some guy named Stinky. Oh, you repaired the receiver. What is that? Is it a ship? No, the range is very limited. It's probably just white noise. The sound of the galaxy laughing at us. What the hell was that? I don't know. But it felt a little like whatever knocked out the sensor array. We're losing atmosphere. Pressure's down 8%. Help me, we gotta find the hole. Without sensors, it's not gonna be easy to locate the breach. Then use your ears. Pressure's down 22%. And the damn hole's too small. Where is it? What are you doing? It's nitrogen for the coolant tanks. Just give me a few seconds. Yeah, so Tripp's flooding the cabin with some nitrogen, making it kind of foggy, so you can see where it's going it. out. It's over here. There's another one down here. Put your finger on it until we can figure out what to do. We've got some valves in it in storage bin three. Have we got anything a little closer? Uh, do you mind passing me your meat life? What? I assume you finished with it. Yeah, something uh, basically punctured uh, a couple of holes in the shuttle pod, uh, venting atmosphere. They've got to seal them up, obviously, or else uh, they're not going to be in too good a shape. Yeah, Malcolm's grabbing some mashed potatoes. Malcolm's a regular MacGyver. Just give him a rubber band, paper clip, and some mashed potatoes. Choice of cuisine. Obviously, whatever hit us went clear through the pod. I'm afraid it did more than just puncture the cabin, Commander. On its way out, it was kind enough to rupture one of the O2 cylinders. Great. How much closer to oblivion are we? That's a bad thing. You know, these, um, keep in mind the shuttle pod is, uh, is damaged already. I'm trying to recall, I don't think the shuttle pods really even have, uh, any kind of deflector shields of any great degree. They must have a little something, but nothing enough to stop what's going on here and making these holes. We'll never know. Always the optimist. We have 40 hours of air left. What do you expect me to do? Sit here and plan my wedding. I'm confident there'll be a Charles Tucker the Fourth one day. Uh, then maybe it's your wedding we should be planning. That's assuming we can find you a bride in the next day and a half. Any suggestions? There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. Uh, the 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. I met the girl of my dreams on my first Friday night there. <laughs> she was the one. There's no doubt about it. We got it all figured out. 
Just had a few uh, power fluctuations here at my house. Uh, maybe the bad weather. I, I sure hope I don't uh, uh, really? lose this and have to redo. It's uh, Whatever happened to you? occasionally that has happened uh, during the recording of these podcasts. Either I, I lose the file or something happens to uh, the power and in the middle. Uh, but uh, I'm just going to keep keep rolling. Hopefully, uh, like uh, trip here, just hope for the best. Would another half day be worth freezing your butt off? What are you talking about? If we lower the thermostat in here to about minus five centigrade, we should be able to use that power to enhance the efficiency of the atmosphere recyclers. <laughs> our last two and a half days freezing versus our last two days toasty warm. What a delightful choice. I'd pick freezing. Another half day is another half day. Freezing it is then. And just what are you doing? An officer at his best is always well-groomed. Nice to see you're developing a more positive attitude. Actually, I was thinking about what our corpses would look like when they're eventually found. With no air in the pod, <laughs> we should remain in fairly good condition. Charming. Malcolm, but you're forgetting one his, thing, Malcolm. Trips, if I remember my honors biology it. course correctly, but, uh, your hair and nails is, keep know, growing for quite a while after you're dead. Pretty sure that includes your beard. It's kind of a morbid thought, but I guess that's probably true from the things that I've always heard. Your hair and nails and things continue to grow even after you would be dead. Come in. I've analyzed the scans we took of the testing ship right before it crashed. I believe they were hit by a micro-singularity. You still chasing gremlins? This is no myth, Captain. Three of the singularities also hit Enterprise. They collided with our whole plating here, here, and here. You're telling me these are tiny black holes? They were. The dispersal patterns suggest... An interesting thing about micro, micro singularities or sort of black holes is that the this Romulan warbirds from the Next that. Generation era use those actually as a power source for their um, their engines and their warp power is from a micro-singularity. Say that ten times fast, or two times fast. And in the era of Enterprise, they're still kind of learning about these things. Better hail them. Agree to a new rendezvous point. I never intended to suggest that our crew members were less important than a scientific discovery. Even one of this historic magnitude. Time's a waste. My dearest Deborah. So we're back on the shuttle pod. It's, 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 it's all frosty inside. They've all... Uh... We've also undoubtedly learned that my colleague, Commander Charles Dockerman, did manage to survive for a few days after the accident. Looks it's during that brief time that I've chosen chilly to in there, and I you. think what I, when I heard about this episode or when I read some background on it, they actually did lower the temperature when they filmed it uh, to try to show their, uh, so they could see the breath of Malcolm and Trip in the shuttle pod. They, they actually lowered the temp, so they were uh, pretty cold when they filmed this scene. Ship. Uh, it's a little more modulated than the last one, but it could be just a random gamma ray burst. Oh. 
My dearest Rochelle, by this time I'm certain you've learned of the tragedy. Wouldn't it be easier just to record one message and then add the dear whoever afterward? This is your fifth or sixth identical letter. That's not true. There have been subtle differences. I would never refer to Rochelle as having a beautiful smile. With her, it was the eyes. Travis and Hoshi couldn't have been more than 24, 25 years old. If the captain were here with us now, I wonder if he'd feel guilty about bringing them on this mission. Not for a minute. They died doing what they love. I don't remember Hoshi loving much about being in deep space. Ah, oh, she was coming along. She saved our asses on more than one occasion. Hmm? Plan on letting her family know just how essential she was. Sounds to me like you do have some letters to record. I'll wait to tell them in person. <laughs> you know, your treacly optimism is beginning to get just a little bit tiresome. Unlike your heartfelt letters of farewell to half the girls in San Francisco, at least I'm capable of accepting our fate. We're going to be dead in about 33 hours. Whether our beards continue to grow or not is of no concern to me. We will be dead. Unless some ship happens to cross our path, our bearded bodies will be discovered in about three or four years. Is that optimistic enough for you? What's your problem with having a little hope? What's your problem with facing the truth? You're a regular Grim Reaper, Malcolm. Anyone ever tell you that? <sighs> well... If this little trip is a death sentence, then it would seem to me we're entitled to a last meal. What'll it be? I'm afraid our selection Good is somewhat Good stuff there limit. with the characters again, you know, really getting on edge. And again, the difference between them, one then kind of an optimist, one kind of a pessimist. It's kind of, uh, duty. you know, that's kind of simple Are terms, but I, I, it really gives we're you insights men, to the characters, throwing the two of them together for this episode. Matter, really like this idea. Really interesting. Kind of like the Galileo 7 did. You know, back in the original series, they did the same kind of thing with having the characters sort of out of their element. Uh, when, when Spock was in command of the Galileo on that planet, uh, the different crew members giving him a hard time, and all the differences coming out. Live a little. Trip found that bottle That's of uh, bourbon, and they're going to just basically break into it and have a good old time. Hey, why not? They uh, don't have anything else to do right now. That's going to provide any heat. The bourbon will provide the heat. The candle's just for mood. Trip pulled out a uh, little cell from the to the brave men and women. Candle out of it. Of the Starship Enterprise. They're toasting the uh, the Enterprise, which they of course still think was destroyed. You know that's going to consume oxygen, don't you? We'll probably be dead five or six minutes earlier than we would have been. I can live with that. Anyway, it seems to me as far as you're concerned, the sooner the better. Is that really how you see me? The eternal pessimist? 
the Grim Reaper. I don't want to die. What makes you think I want to die? Because ever since we saw Enterprise spread across that asteroid, you've done nothing but write your own obituary. I lost nearly everyone I cared about. On that ship. Those girls I talked about. Rochelle, Deborah, Caitlin. None of them worked out because I could... never get very close to them. Never got very close to my family either, for that matter. Not that it's any business of yours. But with the crew of the Enterprise, it was different. I was really starting to feel... comfortable with them. And now the only one that's left thinks I'm the bloody angel of death. Sudden five or six more minutes sounds kind of nice. Does that sound modulated enough for you? Modulated? The radio. This kind of reminds me a little bit about how uh, Dr. Bashir and Chief O'Brien on Deep Space Nine turned into a couple of good friends, good pals uh, throughout Deep Space Nine's run. Here we have Malcolm and Tripp uh, drinking a bottle, all wrapped up in blankets, uh, having a good time now. I think she's pretty. DePaul, are you serious? Well, she's a woman, you know. I think she's pretty. You've had too much to drink. <sighs> Don't tell me you've never looked at her, you know, in that way. <laughs> no, she's a Vulcan. Mm. Well, she's pretty. Oh, God. You ever noticed her bum? What? Her bum. <laughs> she's got an awfully nice bum. <laughs> <laughs> that cracks me up. Malcolm notices T'Pol's bum. To Subcommander T'Pol. <laughs> Awfully nice. It's probably nothing, right? Interesting it's since Trip was the one that ends up kind of with her later on in the well, series. Well, that means it's something. What is it? Well, is it something or someone? Because if it's someone... Shh. Definitely someone. We have nowhere to respond, do we? This is like the plane flying over the desert island in a lost at sea movie. Malcolm! Sorry. Happy endings. I must think happy endings. That's Hoshi! That's impossible! It was so pessimistic! It's not impossible! It's Hoshi! They're okay! Enterprise, he's okay! It's Hoshi! Adjust your heading to the new coordinates. New rendezvous in two days. Commander, Lieutenant, please respond. Rendezvous! What a beautiful word! What's wrong? They've got no way to answer. They're still two days away. And we only have a little more than one day's air left. 
And no way to tell him to get here sooner. That's a problem for you. Are you sure you got the coordinates right? Yes. Not that it matters. Lieutenant. They're probably traveling at what? Warp two, warp three? Compared to them, we're like a garden snail. Where we go and how fast we get there is irrelevant. If I purchase CO2 filters, it'll give us a little more air. How much? An hour's worth? Probably less. Great. So when they reach us in two days, we'd have been out of air for 11 hours. You ever try holding your breath for 11 hours? <laughs> Train leaves New York at 3 a.m. heading west. Well, another leave Chicago at 4.30, heading east. I never could figure those out. Enterprise is going to wonder why we haven't responded. Right? Maybe they'll be concerned and increase their speed. Maybe. But if we really want to get them to go to high warp, we're going to have to attract their attention. Something a little more dramatic than not answering their hails. Can they see us on their senses? Two days away at warp three? No, they can see us. Maybe not too clearly. But we should be a nice little blip on T'Pol's viewer. Then we've got to get that blip to tell them to pick up a little steam. What if we fired our weapons? They're nearly a quarter of a light year away. Our plasma cannons have a range of less than 10 kilometers. It would all still look like a single blip. It's gonna take a lot more than that. What if we jettison the impulse drive? What good would that do? Well, you could rig a self-destruct. I imagine that would make quite an explosion. Maybe even big enough to make that blip do something odd. I can't blow up our engine. We'd be adrift, dead in space. What's the difference between that and traveling at a snail's pace? I'm an engineer. I won't blow up our only engine. Then I'll ask you again. Ever hold your breath for 11 hours? Kind of, of course, reminds you still of the Galileo I think Seven. I have some micro detonators in there somewhere. With uh, Spock's jettisoning their fuel and, and creating that little signal that the Enterprise picked up on to uh, find them before they decayed. How does it feel to be slower than a snail? I saw a great cartoon once. There are these two snails sitting on the back of a big old turtle. One snail turns to the other and says, Hold on, Fred. Here we go. If I'm right, I'm gonna get the rest of the bourbon. Fine. Less than 12 hours. You win. More than 12. It's mine. Go check the pressure gauge. You check it. I don't think I can move my legs. Yeah, things are uh, pretty grim at this stage. Jettison the engine, not really moving much except uh, from their 
previous. I can't believe we've been sitting here that long. Come on, let's hear it. How much air is left? Ten hours. That's probably the last bet I'll ever make. And I won. I should feel like celebrating, shouldn't I? The whiskey's yours. Now, why don't you give us a toast before you drink it? Ten hours for two men. If there were only one of us, he'd have 20 hours, wouldn't he? Great idea. Why don't you climb up into the airlock and seat yourself in? That's just what I was thinking. Any last words you want me to pass along? Yeah. Tell Captain Archer that it was one hell of an honor serving with him. What are you doing? We don't know whether or not they saw our little display of pyrotechnics. But either way, this will double your chances. You're crazy! Now get down from there! Sit down, Lieutenant! If anyone should go up in there, it should be me! You're the chief engineer! I'm also in charge of deciding who's going into this airlock. Do I make myself clear? Commander? What are you gonna do, kill me? It's set to stun. I don't want to use it, but I will. Put it down! Go to hell! Stop trying to be a hero, it doesn't suit you. What would you know about being a hero? It takes nothing but a coward to crawl up inside a hole to die. Then go ahead and shoot me. But you better hope we don't make it, because if we survive, the first thing I'm gonna do is bust your ass back to crewman second class for insubordination. Be my guest! I can use a little less responsibility! Now, get down here! Who the hell do you think you are? Your armory officer! And perhaps your friends! Friends don't shoot each other! Do you know, I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure you use up a lot more oxygen when you shout like that! So what are you saying? That you'd rather have Enterprise when the two of us dead in here? That's exactly what I'm saying. If there's one chance in a thousand that they saw our impulse drive explode, that they increased their speed, I'll take that chance. I've invested far too much time trying to figure you out, Mr. Tucker. See things have changed a bit now. Not it was all for optimist. Well, now they're both uh, in sick bay. I'm back. Easy, Malcolm. You fellas had a nice little bout with hypothermia. The commander. He's going to be fine. It took nearly three hours to get your body temperatures back to normal. You must have seen the explosion. Hard to miss. You know, you guys only had two or three hours of air left. You don't say. We saw debris from Enterprise on one of the asteroids. We assume. We thought you were all... 
I'll tell you all about it in the morning. Right now, the doctor needs to warm you up a few degrees. <laughs> T'Pol's, of course, standing there just like in Malcolm's on, dream. <laughs> yes. Isn't there something you're supposed to say to me? About what? Heroics. Something about heroics. Good night, Lieutenant. Not quite like Malcolm's dream the first time, but she still has a nice bump. Trip. Mind if I call you Trip? Sleep well, my friend. Well, there you have Shuttle Pod 1 from the first season of Enterprise. And I really, uh... I think that uh, those people that, that didn't uh, give Enterprise much of a chance, if they saw this episode and quite a few others, they would uh, think think uh, think again, I think. Did I say that too many times? <laughs> ah, I'm sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me this morning. Good episode. Uh, excellent performances by both those guys. Really enjoyed it. Uh, I like those kind of episodes that are a little different. Uh, not just, you know, here's the, the bad guy. We've got to do something about it or, or whatever. It's, it really gives you a chance to look at the characters, and it was a good episode for them for the first season to do that kind of a show. I think if they had a few more of those shows, maybe they would have uh, gotten a little bit more uh, interest, a little more of a following, perhaps. I don't know. It's You can always go back and second-guess these things. It's uh, it's too late to really do that now. You know, who knows? Things are. Uh, it's still 40 years since the original series premiered of star trek and they're going to do another movie so you know maybe the story isn't uh, ended for enterprise a lot of those actors are, are relatively young and it would be a re- it'd be a cool thing to see them back uh, either in a, on another tv series in some way or capacity or maybe even in a movie sometime i don't think uh, as uh, as mr spock would always say there's always possibilities i'm going to take a, a short break here and come back and round out the show finish things up but uh, during this break, you're going to hear, of course, Nathan and Rick Moyers take on this episode, Shuttle Pod 1. And then after their uh, comments about the episode, I'll come back and I have uh, a sort of contest to announce. So stay tuned. Here we go with Nathan and Rick on Shuttle Pod 1. Hi, Rico. This is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this is, is the, the Father, Father and Son, Son Review. Review. Well, today we were excited when we found out that you were going to do Shuttle Pod 1, and especially my son was, weren't you? Yeah, it's one of my favorite episodes of Enterprise. Yeah, it's kind of fun, and uh, you know we enjoyed it a lot. And um, before we're, We'll come back after this, but we, we did a really special thing for this, this episode of Father and Son Review because, well, we both liked the show Gilligan's Island when we were kids. Yes. And uh, so we decided to go ahead and review the entire uh, episode of Shuttle Pod 1 to Gilligan's Island. So Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Enjoy. Just sit right back and you hear a tale, a tale of a tiny ship that started on the Enterprise for a little mapping trip. Debris on an asteroid got the officers all riled. They thought the Enterprise had crashed, so they'd be dead in a while. They'd be dead in a while. Asteroids started getting thick, some space and inside frost. If it wasn't for the courage of Malcolm and Trip, the shuttle would be lost. 
the shuttle would be lost. The ship was adrift in the heavenlies of uncharted Federation space with Malcolm Reed and Tucker too. A cool prop ship and some booze. It's a Paul in dreams. A lock recording machine. Here on Shuttle Pod One. The micro singularity started to rip up the ship. Malcolm was a pessimist Recording logs that got too trim So this was the tale of our space cadets They They floated for a long, long time They had to make the best of things As their air depleted in time No phasers, no tricorder, no torpedoes Not not a single luxury Like Picard and Wesley on the fountain planet As as primitive as could be So join us here each week, my friend You'll get your sci-fi filled as four whole years on UPN, Trek Franchise Prequel! <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Hope you guys like that. <laughs> oh, I we're can't believe nerds. we did we're that. Nerds. Oh, geek fell. Okay, there you go. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so how many stars did you give that one, Nathan? Um, no, probably no, like 10 not, out of 5. No, not the song. Not the the song. show, Shuttlepod um, 1. Well, I'd probably give it a 4. The script writing wasn't that good. I, I didn't like it that much, so I'm going to give it a two and a half, three stars. So there you go. I, I hope it was okay if we were a little creative on our on our review today because there really was no guest stars. No, the whole episode was like probably $5 to make. Ship in the bottle. Well, no, the blow-up scene. No, that was, was cool. Good. It was had some good stuff in it. So uh, anyway, so here's to Eureka and everybody at Trex and Sci-Fi. God bless you guys. Have a great one. This is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this was the The Father Father and Son Son Review. Review. Little buddy. Oh, my gosh, guys. That was just so excellent. Uh, When you did that uh, takeoff with Gilligan's Island and Shuttlepod 1, I'm going to uh, have to post that just snippet up on the forums as a downloadable uh, MP3 file. That was great, uh, Rick and Nathan. I loved it. Uh, Keep up the great work. Those Father and Son Reviews really are uh, Excellent. Uh, I uh, I really enjoy them, and I think everyone else else listening to the podcast does. So let's uh, let's go on to this sort of uh, different kind of contest that I'm going to uh, announce. This is more of a uh, I don't know what you call it. Sort of a I was trying to say the word lottery, maybe, but not really that. I want to uh, try to uh, get some uh, funds, uh, raise some funds to uh, to continue to improve and tweak the podcast. Uh, equipment things uh both uh, and also new little bits of software for the website anyway to do that uh what i created here was basically a grab bag of items i call it a little grab bag uh, sci-fi sampler of different things that i think people might enjoy and to well let me go through what's what's in the grab bag and then i'll, I'll let you know how, how to uh, get a chance to win this what we have first off we got some action figures i'm going to put a picture of all this and list it on the uh the website in the podcast notes area for this week but the uh the items here we've got a troy action figure from next generation a borg action figure from next generation we have uh, an obi-wan kenobi uh action figure from star wars in cold weather gear this is an unusual item uh, a different look you'll see a pictures of it all this stuff like i said up on the website uh also a uh uh, paperback book, the first Titan novel, which I read uh, a few months back, which is really good. Uh, we have a large size Treks in Sci-Fi podcast T-shirt. Still got a couple of those hanging around. We have a C-3PO Pez dispenser and a DVD uh, of the movie uh, Excalibur, which is a fantasy tale uh, from uh, 
when did this movie come out? About 1981 or so, I think, back in the early 80s. Uh, really interesting take on the King Arthur legend. So I think that's all uh, what I've got to, to um, put into the grab bag. This is the way you enter. There's two different things you can do. One, you can post a comment in the podcast notes. Uh, pick a particular podcast you want to comment on, put a comment there, and uh, I will put you down as that will be one entry into winning this grab bag. To get uh, additional entries for it, for every $5 that you PayPal and donate to the podcast, I will give you two entries, two chances to win. So do you have that? Uh, if you put a, a, a note in the podcast notes somewhere, if you want, also send me, I get a notification on those podcast notes, but send me a little email and let me know that you entered uh, a podcast note and which episode that you picked to do that on. You can only do that once. You can put more in if you want, uh, but just go to the podcast notes section off of the main website, the main menu there, and enter a note somewhere at one of the podcasts, and I will put you down for one possibility of winning the grab bag. And like I said, for each additional, uh, or you get two chances, excuse me, Two chances for every $5 donated. And that you can do multiple times. If you donate $10, it's four entries plus one for the podcast notes. That would give you five chances to win this grab bag. This is going to go on for two weeks. So the podcast two weeks from today, which will be, let's see, that's March. I think it's about March 11th. Yeah, that's March 11th. Uh, That, uh, I'm just checking my calendar again. Just want to get the date right. Yeah, March 11th. On March 11th's podcast, I will have everybody's entries. I will pick the winner and ship out this stuff, this grab bag of uh, nice little sci-fi items to everyone, or to everyone, to the winner uh, after I uh, randomly pick, uh, or not randomly, well, it'll be a random generated number. I'm, I'm just losing it, folks. I'm sorry. I think you guys all get the idea. I'll put all these details in the podcast notes uh, so you know how to do this exactly. The PayPal donation link is on the main treksf.com or Treks in Sci-Fi, both of those will get you to the main website. There's a PayPal link there on the left-hand side that you can donate uh, to the show. So there you go. Chances to uh, win this nice grab bag of items. And I'm going to wrap up the show. We're at about an hour and ten minutes or so. Got to do it at some editing to this and get it out to everyone to listen to. I think this was a good one. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I like ShuttlePod 1. Good episode. Uh, we got J.J. Rims directing Star Trek, the, the next movie. Uh, great uh, father and son review, some great listener calls. Check out the forums. Check out everything. If you want to participate on the show, you can always email me at treksf at gmail.com or send a voicemail uh, to 206-88-TREKS, or you can always record your own audio and email it to me. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's edition of the show. Uh, also, we've got a couple days left in February. If you get a chance, go to the main website. Uh, take, a, uh, take a few minutes and... Make a vote at Podcast Alley for the podcast. Uh, there's a link there. Everything is on the main webpage that you'll need to know about that. And that's it. This is Rico signing off for another edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. Thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy your week. I will talk to you again very soon. Bye-bye for now. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. You said don't talk fast, and that's how you show excitement. All right, talk a little faster. Okay. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production.
This podcast, copyright 2007, all rights reserved.